0: James chapter 5. I'm only going to lift two verses at this point. James 5 verses 7 and 8. This evening we want to speak on the title. The Lord's Harvest. The Lord's Harvest. James 5 and 7. Be patient therefore brethren. Unto the coming of the Lord. Behold. The husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. For the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. James, when he's writing this, In our reading this evening, we can see in these verses of James 5, 6, and 7, Almighty God, the one true living God of Israel, Almighty God is presented here, and maybe you won't see it uh, uh, immediately, but we'll look at it. God is presented here in his plan of salvation, redemption, and regathering unto himself through a great harvest. But what you'll see here is God manifest and known to us through the scriptures as a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in these two verses. For example, in verse 7, look what it says. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and the latter rain. Notice, Behold, the husbandman. Behold, the husbandman. The idea here is that the husbandman is the father, is almighty God. The husbandman is thought of by the Lord in John chapter 15 and in verse 1. The Lord Jesus, the son of God, the Lord, he says, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. It's the exact same word here. The husbandman. So the father is the husbandman. And the word husbandman can be broken down into two words. For example, uh, the, the word for husbandman is gi or ground. And ergo means to do. And this is what it gives the idea. Where we get our English word is, is the Is uh, the Greek word. For husbandmen. And Georgos is where we get our English name George from. So not that the father is called George. But rather it means he is a tiller of the ground. He is the one who in parable and here in likeness. James tells us that he is the one who planted. Who is the one who planted our heavenly father? What did he plant? He planted a vine. Jesus says, "I am the true vine." The idea is, "I am the true vine." The vine was a a type of ancient Israel, and it was not only a type of Israel, but Jesus now coming and says, "I am the true vine," because Israel had sinned before God, and Israel had failed according to the commandments of God. And He said, "I am the true vine. My Father is the Georgos, or my Father is the one who hath planted. He planted the vine." And I'm the true vine, so from him I am planted, from him I am here. It gives the idea for the word George in our English actually also means a tiller of the ground or a dresser of the ground. And so the Georgos, behold the husbandman, the father is waiting for the fruit of the earth. Now we're going to go into a bit of a Bible study on this tonight as well. Trust you'll stay with me. Will you turn with me to Matthew chapter twenty-one, Matthew twenty-one, please? Let your eye run down to verse thirty-three. We're going to see the husbandman, and he lets out his vineyard to husbandmen. That is, it was to Israel, then to the leaders, and they failed miserably. Notice Matthew twenty-one, verse thirty-three. The Lord Jesus says, "Here another parable." there was a certain householder which planted a vineyard. Notice the planter. The householder is also the husbandman of James 5, which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a winepress in it and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. And the idea of this is this, that God planted Israel the vine or also what became later known as Judah, the fig tree in the vineyard. He planted it, he had a wine press, and he had a tar. What was that? He gave them a line of kings from King David. He also had temple for where the wine of the word was, the, the press was, for the fruit of the vine that would come from it. And notice here, God, the Father, he is likened here to the householder who planted a vineyard. Verse 34, when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits thereof. And the husbandman took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandman saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him. And let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him and cast him, notice, out of the vineyard and slew him. When the Lord thereof of the vineyard cometh, what will he do to those husbandmen? They say unto him, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard to other husbandmen, which shall render their fruits in their, the fruits in their season. Then saith Jesus saith unto them, Did you never read the scriptures, the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall upon this stone shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind the powder. And when the chief priests and Pharisees, noticed this, had heard his parables, they perceived that he spake of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. The Lord Jesus was saying, the husbandmen were meant to bring forth fruit ready for the harvest, And when the, the householder or the father was to come looking for the fruity things, none on it and notice what he 's saying there 's coming a time when the Father is going to gather i don 't want to offend anyone, but listen. The, The Israeli state that's there at the minute, I believe, you know, I believe it was to be there. It's prophesied to be there, so don't get me wrong. But I believe that it's in this life, this time now, I don't believe there's going to be some other way of salvation for the Jews. It's in Christ and in Christ alone. And listen to this now, folks. The Lord says he will also come and destroy them too. That's what it says here. What will he do with them? He says he will utterly destroy them. The Pharisee says he's speaking about us. Why? Because they took the son, the heir, took him outside of the vineyard, outside the city walls, and they killed him or they crucified him. And Jesus says that, and the Pharisee says, he's speaking about us. Now notice what he says, the kingdom of God is taken from you, from these Jews, and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. He kingdom as it were, the Pharisees, and he gave it to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. Now listen, that's not the church, because the word for church is usually ecclesia, meaning called out ones. You're the church, you're the called out ones. Here it is the word ethnos, those of same ethnic. It's where you get like of ethnic race. And who was it? We're going to look at it. It was the northern house of Israel and the Israelites who were scattered. He says, go unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as they went out preaching the word of God unto them, people heard the gospel of saving grace in Christ. And the great master plan of the Father was already then put in place for redemption and salvation. So when we look at the word here of God, notice this in Matthew chapter 21. Let your eye run down. Verse 45, When the chief priests and Pharisees had heard his parables They perceived that he spake of them, but when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because the people took him for a prophet. Chapter 22, and Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which had made a marriage. And he sent forth servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding and they would not come. Who's he speaking of? He's speaking to those he was ministering to. And he's speaking to all of you who would uh, reject, or all of they, I should say, who would reject this word. Men who, young and old, men and women who reject the gospel of Christ. Who reject Christ as their Savior. Notice this. They would not come again. He sent forth other servants saying, Tell them which were bidden. Behold, my, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen, my fatlings are killed. All things are ready. In other words, you need do nothing. Just come. And they notice this. Come unto the marriage. And they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm and another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth and sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. He saith unto his servants... The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden are not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. Notice here, notice the grace. No matter how bad you are, you're never too low that Christ can't reach you. You're never too far that he cannot bring you back. And notice this, the wedding was furnished, and when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. He saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then saith the king to his servants, Bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. What is Jesus saying here? He came to the house of Judah or the remnant of Judah, That were there in his day. He came to the Jewish nation there. And they rejected him. They rejected him. He says the kingdom of God is taken from me. And it will go somewhere else. Can I ask you where the kingdom kingdom of God has come to us? Isn't that right? Who has published the Bibles? Who has seen the mass revivals? Who has seen the outpouring of the Holy Ghost? We'll see in a moment. Who has done all of these things but us? Notice this. He says here, the wedding is ready. And a man comes in without a wedding garment on. What is that wedding garment? Wedding garment is the righteousness of Christ. The wedding garment is is that when Christ died for our sins, he took all our sins. And the wedding garment is that we took his perfect righteousness. Have you got a wedding garment on tonight? Don't we sing it? When the bridegroom cometh, will your robes be white? Pure and white in the blood of the Lamb? Do you ever wonder why we sing it? I'm sure we all know here. In other words, is your wedding garment on? Are you ready for the coming of the Lord? Isn't that what our opening verses say? For the coming of the Lord draweth nigh? Twice in two verses, James emphasises that the coming of the Lord is, is happening, it's at hand, it's it's really coming now. Have you your wedding garment on? Because this is what happened in time. We can look back with hindsight and see that Christ came. That Christ was rejected. And so the gospel went out and sought us out. Sought us out and right through into the time where Christ found you. And you received his righteousness. See, you're unable to save yourself and I was unable to save myself. But rather we must lay ourselves completely Fully reliant, totally, only, solely, uniquely, wholly upon the blood of Christ and nothing else. Have you got the righteousness of Christ? In other words, have you been to the cross? Are you saved? Are you born again? Have you been washed by faith in the blood of the Lamb? Notice the Lord Jesus says that a man without a wedding garment was cast out into outer darkness. Notice... In the first parable we read, they put, they put the son, the air, outside Christ and crucified him. He went outside that we might be brought in. He was rejected, as it were, of his father because of our sin that we might be reconciled to the father. And here we find again in the second one, the man who rejected the Lord Jesus Christ and it was put outside and crucified outside the city walls, the man who has not got the wedding garment on, that man is now put out into outer darkness, which is a horrible, horrible place. Notice, he says in the end of verse 13, There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So first of all, we have the husbandman, in James chapter 5 and verse 7, who is our Father, God the Father. It says, Be patient therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth. Do you Remember in another parable, the Lord Jesus speaks of the fig tree, which became known as the Jews. The fig tree, the, 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 the parable was there's a man, the, the husbandman comes and says, Take this tree up, I'm paraphrasing for time. He says, and dig it out from the roots and cast it away. Why cumbereth it the ground? Do you remember that parable? I'm sure we know it. And the Lord Jesus speaking of himself, he says, Lord, let it alone this year. He was digging out it for three years. He says, Lord, let it alone this year. And if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then we'll pluck it up. And that year was the third into the fourth year. And that spoke of Christ and his ministry. Christ went and he labored and he preached the kingdom of God and he preached unto the people all about, all over Judea and Samaria and Galilee. And he says, Father, leave it alone this year. And on the midst of the year, three and a half years, in the middle of that year, time is up. They crucified Christ, the son. They rejected him The air was taken outside the walls of the city and crucified. Notice, when we look at this, we see how Jesus says, leave it alone, and he was crucified in the midst of the year. That's Daniel chapter 9 tells us that. That the Lord would come and he would be crucified in the midst of the year. He would die and not for his own sins. In the midst of the year, Isaiah 53 tells us that too. Ever wonder when you look at it how marvelously accurate the scriptures are? So we have the husbandman. Notice, waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth. We'll look at it, God willing, in a moment. Secondly, secondly, we have the son. The son. Verse 7 again, staying with it. Be patient, (laughs) therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. The word Lord there needs looked at because... God is the Lord, isn't it? I'm sure we're all well aware of that. But who's coming again? Who's coming again? How will we know it when God comes? God is omnipresent. He's with us now. So what does it mean? The coming of the Lord. God's with us. He's here. He lives in the believer's hearts. He lives in our lives. How do we know? We'll know by the visible manifestation of the Son of God. The one who was the Word it was with God and was God. And it was with the Father at the beginning. And the word of the Father is made flesh. You sing it every Christmas. Word of the Father now in flesh appearing. O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. So notice the Son is that Lord. He is the Lord who will come from heaven. In verse 7 it says the coming of the Lord. And in verse 8, the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Now the word Lord here is curios. Curios, And it means Lord. It can mean owner. It means sir. It can mean a master. It can mean king. And it can mean ruler. It can mean Messiah or Christ. It can mean all of those things. But really it means one who is in sovereign control and complete authority. So the one who is sovereign in control... Of all things and in complete authority. The one who is Jehovah or Yahweh, Messiah. The one who is Lord and owner and master and king and ruler. He is coming, says James. We must look a little further into this. We look at James chapter 1. It's only across a couple of pages, please. James chapter 1 and verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not and that it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith not wavering for he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Now notice the words here, God and Lord. God and Lord. Lord. For example, let's look again at verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let them ask of God. The word for God here is the word theos. It's where you get theology and so on from. Theos. So if you and I are lacking wisdom, we're told, go ask them. Theos, who is our almighty God. Now stay with me on this. Gives the idea of the Godhead or the deity, the great deity. So if any of you lack wisdom, go ask the great deity. And then in verse 7 of that chapter, chapter 1, let not that man think that he shall receive anything. Who's he asking of? Theos, the great deity, the one true living God. And in verse 7, for let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. Of who? Curios. So he's asking Theos, and where does he get it from? Through the Lord or through Curios. Don't want to try and make it too complicated here. But the idea is that God, the great eternal spirit, our heavenly father, he comes and reveals himself and makes himself known as he did in the garden of Eden. For example, God created all things we know, Genesis chapter 1. And then we read, of the Lord God coming down. Notice it's God, 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 God. The whole way through the book of the first chapter of Genesis. And God said, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God says. Then in chapter 2. And the Lord God comes. And he starts to have relationship with Adam. The Lord God there is the same Lord God here. Who was that? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. pre bethlehem of course. And so that was broken in relationship with Adam's fall and sin. And now in Christ we are reconciled again to God. But notice this. The Curios or the controller, the sovereign Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, master, king and ruler over all things. He says, if you're asking God, it comes through. Who? Curios, the Lord. So if you want to get to the Father... Jesus says, in John chapter 14 and verse 6, you ready? I am the way, what does he say? And no man but by me. Isn't that right? There is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. You see, the mediator is, he is the one we go to the Father through, and he is the one the Father sends the blessing of redemption through. And here we're told, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask Theos. In the Old Testament or in the, in the Hebrew, it would be the name Elohim or El. let him ask Theos here in the, in the Greek text. And it will come through the Lord. It will come through Christ. Salvation is found in Christ. God was in Christ. What was he doing? reconciling the world unto himself. That's why Christ is central in all things. That's why Christ must have the preeminence at all times. That's why Christ is loved and adored and exalted and magnified and worshipped in this place. Because when we worship him, we worship our Father. And when we come to him, we're before our Father. So through the Son, the Father giving of his Son, now we can go to the Father through the Son. Would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 22, please. We'll just lift a verse out here. Verse 37. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. The Lord Jesus has asked, what is the great commandment, the greatest commandment of all? By a lawyer who's with the Pharisees. And he says, I shall love the Lord thy God. Now listen, brothers and sisters, this is important because there are many people and it's growing. It's growing. One time, and they're denied the deity and the eternality of the Lord Jesus Christ. They say, well, he was just a man born of Bethlehem or a good man. They say he was a prophet whether it was from Islam or whatever. And I'm not just picking that out because there's even Christian uh, people that I know have turned away from the deity of Christ and nope, he was just a man. The problem is here, we have to understand that he was not just a man and he was not just a prophet. He is God in flesh, the Son of God. He always was and he always will be. He is the word of the Father, eternal with him and from him. Notice this, what he says, Matthew 22, verse 37, please. The Lord Jesus being asked, What is the great commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord, the Kyrios, thy God, the Theos. Who is the Lord? We already said, The Lord Jesus Christ. You shall love the Lord thy God. You know what Jesus is saying? That's me. If you don't love me, you don't love God. Friend, I'm unapologetic for that. I'm unapologetic. I, 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 I'm not, I wouldn't say even I'm sorry that it would be offend people because nowadays you can't say Jesus is exclusively the only way to the Father, exclusively the only way to heaven. They're trying to stop us, preach it and say it now, but I'm going to say it and I know it goes out live and I'm, not, I'm unapologetic. I don't care who likes it and who doesn't like it. You can hear it. I'm going to say it. Jesus is the only way. Amen. He is the only way and Jesus is Almighty God. He says, Me. I'm, I'm going to be apologized for this. If you don't love Jesus, you don't love God. <clears throat> I'm going to say it again, brothers and sisters. If you don't love Jesus, you don't love God. Do you believe that? Well, then, would you give an amen to that? Amen. Come on, brothers and sisters, you do. Go on, raise the roof. In this house, we believe Jesus is uniquely and exclusively the only way of salvation, the only way to the Father, and he's the only way of redemption. And we love him here. We love him. Notice here, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all. There's another all. We've done an all this morning, didn't we? Would you say all? All. All thy heart with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, this is the first, these great commandment. Why? All. Oh. Can I ask you a question? How's your love life? Our pastor used to say it all the time. How's your love life? And then he used to say, I'm not talking about your love life. I'm talking about your love life. Your love life with Jesus. Your love life with Christ. Curios. The Lord Jesus is the invisible God in flesh. And when he comes in on Matthew 21 and verse 9, they cry, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Of the same essence, of the same oneness and essence of the Father. Notice, Baruch, Abba, and I they were shouting, and waving their palm leaves. Barukah baba Shemaranai. and that means blessed, blessed. Hosanna, hosanna! Barukah baba Shemaranai means save, oh save! Blessed is He who cometh in the name of the Lord. You have come in the name of our God, as they said. They weren't too long crucifying. Him. I'm sure they weren't. They weren't too long crucifying him. Notice. In our reading, in our two verses, in James chapter 5, please, if you'll turn over to it. The coming of the Lord, or the owner, the master, the ruler, the king, the Messiah, the Christ, the son, the heir. The coming of Kurios, the coming of the Lord, draweth nigh. The coming of the Lord. Would you say the coming? coming. I notice this. The word coming here is the word parousia. Parousia. And this is what it means. The consequent presence of someone's arrival. The consequent presence of someone's arrival. James is saying the very visible, literal, physical arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ is at hand, is near. Notice this. First Thessalonians chapter 2. Notice what Paul says. First Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? Paul's saying, those who have been saved by grace, he says, do you know what our joy is? To see you saved. Do you know what my joy is? To see you saved. Do you know what every Christian's joy should be with our nation and our society and our families, with our friends and our work colleagues? To see them saved. Because the coming, the parousia, the visible coming of Christ Christ, the literal, physical coming of Christ is at hand and is near. Notice, Parousia, the arrival or the advent, is at hand. In Second Peter chapter three and twelve, Peter says, "Looking for and hissing on to the coming, the Parousia of the day of God, the day of Theos." <laughs> Do you see where I'm taking you to now? We're looking for the coming of Theos. Now, God is invisible. God is invisible. He's He's the great invisible spirit. And he's coming, yet he's he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. Doesn't make sense, does it? Unless there is a manifestation of his presence that we can fix our eyes upon to behold. And there is. He became a baby. And he walked Galilee and Samaria and Judea. And he was crucified and he was put in a tomb and he rose the third day and he ascended into heaven. And he's glorified and he's our great high priest in heaven seated at the right hand of the father. And he is coming again. This kurios is our theos. And he's coming again to the very skies. He's coming to this very earth again. We're looking for and hastening on to the coming, the parousia of the day of theos. Now, if Jesus is not God, if Jesus is not God, if Jesus is not eternal, then we have to ask ourselves, how are we going to see, or what will we see at the coming of God? But rather, we will see him with the hosts of heaven. Will you turn with me to the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians, please? 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. I'm just checking the clock if we're okay yet. Chapter 4, please. Listen to what Paul says. Let your eye run down to verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, Concerning them which are asleep are those Christians which have died. That you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Didn't say you don't sorrow, Christian. He didn't say you don't have heartache and heartbreak, Christian. He didn't say you don't hurt and you don't miss them, Christian. He didn't say that. He says we sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Now notice this. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which also sleep or have died in Jesus will God bring with him. Notice, God's going to bring them with him. God's going to bring my mommy with him. God's going to bring your daddy. God's going to bring all our loved ones. God's going to bring those who have died in Christ. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. In other words, we're not going to be caught up. We're not going to be uh, caught up with the Lord and, and they're going to be left as if they're just, well, we've left them behind and they're in the ground and they're in the grave. No, he says, we won't prevent them. He says, actually, it's going to be the opposite way around. For the Lord himself shall descend, with a, descend from heaven with a shout. With the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, notice, and the what? Amen. The dead end. Christ shall rise first. I'm going to see my loved ones. I'll see my daddy. I'm hoping to see my sisters. And they've died. And some of them... We're saved moments, or hours before they died. And it's still trusting that like the dying thief on the cross, that they'll still be with Christ, which is far better. I'm going to see them. You're going to see yours. And they're going to rise first. Notice there's nothing secret about this. There's a shout. There's a voice of an archangel. There's a trumpet of God. And the graves are going to open. And then... We're going to be caught up to meet the Lord with them. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to gather in the the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Can I ask you, are you comforted by that Christian believer? I am. You know why? It's death where is thy sting, grave where is thy victory, isn't it? In other words, it, it may have took them for a while, but we're going to be reunited and meet them again. I'm going to meet my loved ones again. You'll meet your loved ones in Christ again. Be comforted with it. Paul didn't say we don't sorrow, but we sorrow not even as others which have no hope. I have a hope. You have a hope. Our hope is in Christ. I must move on here. Notice... The Lord will descend, the dead will rise, and we will arise to meet the Lord in the air. Verse 17, so shall we ever be with the Lord. The coming of the Lord is something that gives the Christian, it's called the blessed hope. It's called the glorious appearing. He'll appear in glory, and we'll be raised in glory if we're alive. And if we're dead, we'll be raised in glory too. So notice here we have the father, the husbandman. We have the son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord who is coming from heaven. James chapter 5, thirdly and lastly, please. James chapter 5, verse 7 again. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth. And half long patience for it until he received the early and the latter rain. Here we have the Holy Spirit. Well, where's the Holy Spirit in that? The early and the latter rain. The early and the latter rain speaks of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that the early early rain in Judea or around that region fell around October? Our time, October. And the latter rain fell around March going into April of our time or our calendar. For example, the Lord says in Deuteronomy 11 and verse 14, I will give you the rain of your land in his due season. First, The first rain and the latter rain. That thou mayest gather in thy corn and thy wine and thine oil. God says, I'll give you the rain and you'll be able to gather in. What was it for? Turn with me to the book of Joel, if you can find it. The book of Joel. So you'll have Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, and Joel. Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, and Joel. Joel chapter 2 and verse 23, please. I'll just get a drink while you're looking it up. Joel 2 verse 23. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice for the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately He will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. And the floor shall be full of wheat and the fats shall overflow with wine and oil. And I will restore unto you the years and the locusts have eaten and the cankerworm and the caterpillar and the palmer and the great army which I sent among you. And ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never be ashamed. And ye shall know that I... I'm in the midst of Israel. That, and that I am th- the Lord your God, and none else And my people shall never be ashamed. Here the Lord says, I'll send the former and the latter rain. And James says it again, but he's saying it as a spiritual sense. Will you then look at verse 23 here? Just let your eye run down. He will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month now the former rain was given to soften the ground It doesn't mean there was just one rain and then it didn't rain to some other time a lot of months later at the end of the season that's not what it means because it did fall rain at different times it means that certain times when they expected rain deluged rain and that rain broke up the ground the seed was planted was covered over and left it for it to grow now notice this, brothers and sisters, watch this. This uh, rain which was to soften the hard ground in the clods of soil was to cause the corn to spring up and then as it dried and started to grow. Do you ever see in some of the grass you're walking there's like a little knot? And a little knot up the stalk? You see, that's to help it stay up. And that's what the Lord did. He allowed dry periods and then a little shower of rain. And it was to harden the stalk to cause the grain to grow. And the little knot would grow in it to keep it standing upright. Dry period ensues. And through those dry periods, the little nuts came in. There's a little lesson there for us. As children of God, you'll have dry periods in your life. You'll have dry periods when you're wondering where the Spirit is, dry periods when you're wondering where the Lord is, dry periods when know what's happening. God's forming the knot in you, the little knot to help you stay upright, that you'll not break over and fall over and die. And that's what he did. And then he promises the latter rain. And what was the latter rain for? You ready? The latter rain was to mature the fruit before the harvest. A latter of rain was to mature the fruit before the harvest. In Hosea chapter six, you can read it, write it down and read it, we have in time. Verse thirteen it says, He shall come unto us as the rain, as the former as the latter and former rain onto the earth. But Hosea is preaching to the northern kingdom of the house of Israel, and they're saying, God's gonna come like rain in the spirit. That's what he's saying. And in fact, if you were to read the first two verses before that, it talks about a breaking up I've already taught on it and maybe teach on it again afresh another time. He was speaking here prophetically and we go through time. It spoke of the reformation that came to our nation. The spirit of God coming on us. I haven't time to go into that. He does this in our individual lives and he's done this through church history. Hardened hearts, his spirit has softened. Dead hearts, his spirit has regenerated and made alive. Religious hearts have become uh, into relationship with him. A grounding of roots and a shooting up of the church. The former rain then stopped and dry seasons came through church history from the outpouring of the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 2. The former rain, when there's 120 in the upper room and they, they come out of the upper room that morning speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. There was the former rain, and of course that then ensued on to press on from where we were at the beginning to go to that nation, bringing forth the fruits we'll to seek out the lost sheep. Notice this. Then came the lottery, and God sent the lottery in order that there may be an abundant harvest. We think of the Reformation that came. Listen, what do you call on old, old boy, um, Copeland? Kenneth Copeland. He's on video. You can look it up and you can see him. He says that the Reformation was a spirit of division, that it should never have happened. What? It was the biggest move of the Holy Ghost from the day of Pentecost. Brought truth. Brought out the rain. And then he brought out the great revivals. Revivals. And the rain kept falling and the rain kept falling and there was great revivals. There was a, the, the awakenings, the great awakenings in the United States. There was the revivals of Ulster and Wales and, and Scotland, the Hebrides. We could go on and we could go on and we could go on. and The outpouring of the Holy Ghost was growing the people. Azusa Street. We hear of the outpouring of the Spirit and the Pentecostal movement starting. It didn't start in Azusa Street at all. It started in Topeka, Kansas. Five years before that, God poured out His Spirit. Notice this. As we come to a close, it was to mature the fruit for the harvest. To mature. You're the fruit. Remember the man comes, the husbandman comes and he looks for the fruit. There was none and he says, tear it up. God's coming to look for fruit for his harvest. I'm going to round this up. We've been pretty long. Let me thank you for your attention. Notice the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth. He waits for the harvest, the end gathering and he half long patience for it. In verse 8, it says, Be also patient for the coming of the Lord. Doth nigh. there's a word of exhortation for you, church. Be patient because we see things encroaching on us. The reapers are ready. The harvest is ripe and Christ is coming. And the thing is, are you saved? Are you saved? How do we know that the reapers are ready? Well, we have two other scriptures. We'll look at quickly and then that's us finished. Will you go to Matthew's gospel again, please? Go to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9. I told you it was going to be more like a Bible study than a preach tonight, didn't it? Then I find it hard not to preach, and then I go back into the study. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9. And let your eye run down to verse 37. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labourers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth labors into his harvest. It says pray that the Lord will send forth labors. In other words there's a harvest out there that needs reaped. Turn with me to Matthew 13. A few pages over. Matthew 13. Matthew 13. That's your eye run down please to Verse 24, another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. What did he sow? Good seed. were In his field. Okay. But while men slept, an enemy came. (laughs) We know too many of them, don't we? And sowed tares among them and went his way. Now, the tares here, um, they, they were very alike when they were growing up and you could have mistaken them very easily you know how you knew the difference at the end well one of the differences the wheat had the knots in it and bowed over with the head being heavy with corn it's like it was bowing onto the maker and they used to stay upright because there was no real corns of kernel corns in their top and they just stood like that that's how they knew the difference in them from sight then they changed a little bit of colour that's how they knew that. we are worshiping the Lord. We're bowing to his majesty. Now notice here. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou so good see the I field from whence hath it tears? Notice what he said. He said unto them, an enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, wilt thou... Then that we go and gather them up. But he said, Nay, lest while you gather up tares, you root up also the wheat with them. Now this can be put into a global sense and some of the stuff that's happening in this sense. But it can even happen where those who, there are those who profess Christ and profess but don't possess Christ. There are those who have a twisted way about them. And they're tares and they're not wheat. And sometimes the pastor feels like uprooting them by the throat and kicking them out. The Lord says, you leave them to me, lest they do damage to the real wheat. He said unto them, an enemy hath done this. First 29, but he says, nay, lest while they gather up tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. But let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, the Lord will say to the reapers, gather ye first the tares. Folks, who's gathered first? Who said that? Who says it here? Jesus? Are you not told that we're taken out of the way first, that we're gathered first? Jesus didn't say that. He says the tares are gathered first. That's another teaching for another time, isn't it? And bind them in bundles and to burn them, but gather the wheat, where? In my barn. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a grain of mustard seed, which a man took, and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs, and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches. Then he goes on. Let your eye please run down to verse 38. He now gives the interpretation to his people of what this says they ask him what these parables mean and what it is. He says, the field. Remember, he sows his seed in the field. The field, in verse 38, the field is, what does it say? So the field is the world. God so loved the world. The world. You see? So here the field is the world. But he had a treasure, the treasure of, of the book of Deuteronomy, the book of Exodus, pardon me. And Peter writes about it. And what is that treasure? It was Israel people. The field is the world. The the seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. Notice, children of the where the kingdom, and the children of the wicked one. It's different people here. Can you see that? There's different people. Notice what he says: the enemy that sowed them is who the devil. The harvest is the end of the world and the reapers are the angels as therefore their tares are gathered and burned in the fire. So shall it be in the end of this world. The son of man shall send forth his angels and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be a wailing gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father who hath ears to hear. Let him hear. You go on to the next verse. He speaks of the treasure in the field. What's that treasure? That's the treasure he He calls Israel my peculiar treasure. So brothers and sisters, the Lord's harvest is coming. The Lord's harvest is is if you're not saved, if you're not being at the cross, if you're not blood washed, if you're not born again of the Spirit, if you're not fully trusting in Christ alone, if you're not walking with Christ and following after him, the Lord himself will come from heaven and there'll be those who are off the devil. I don't like to disappoint anyone, but people say, oh, the Lord loves everybody. The Bible doesn't say that. He says he loved Jacob and he hated Esau. The Bible says that. He says he loved his own. He loved them under his own. He loved them under the end. There's children of the wicked one. And there's the children of God. Which one are you tonight? I trust you're a child of God. I trust you're born again. For the Lord's harvest is coming. And we must be ready. Amen. God bless us all